We would like to advise that the following program may contain real news, occasional philosophy, and ideas that may offend some listeners. This is The Future This Week. On Sydney Business Insights, I'm Sandra Peter. And I'm Kai Rima. Every week we get together and look at the news of the week. We discuss technology, the future of business, the weird and the wonderful, and things that change the world. Okay, let's start. Let's start. Today on The Future This Week, angry fans and real implications for female leadership on Game of Thrones. I'm Sandra Peter, I'm the director of Sydney Business Insights. I'm Kai Rima, professor at the Business School and leader of the Digital Structure Research Group. So Kai, what happened in the future this week? So a German, a Hungarian and a Dutchman walk into a podcast studio. If you want to hear the end of this, you need to listen till after the podcast. But seriously, we have a guest today. Yes, we have Tom van Laar, Associate Professor of Narratology here at the University of Sydney Business School. And Tom's here because he studies storytelling, social media, consumer behavior. And besides being published in all leading journals and highly regarded academic outlets, he's also been on the ABC, in the Sydney Morning Herald, in Newsweek, in all reputable print and media outlets. And he's joined us from the Cast Business School and City University London and, you know, having worked at the European Commission before, really to talk with us about Game of Thrones. Hashtag GOT and spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen the latest episode of Game of Thrones. You might want to postpone listening to this until after you're caught up on the latest episode. So, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Manos, right? I'm German. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Dutch. So, yeah. <laughs> so this is where normally Tom and I would go into a long and fierce debate about soccer. But, you know, we agreed that's a whole different podcast. So we're going to talk Game of Thrones today. And I'm going to be the neutral voice to speak on behalf of the minority of people who haven't actually joined the Game of Thrones fandom. So I'm going to ask some random questions. It's really up to you, Sandra and Tom, to kick it off because you're both really deeply into the universe. So we've asked Tom to bring one of our first stories for this week. So Tom, over to you. So there was an article in The Guardian that basically said that the latest episode of Game of Thrones sends a curveball to children named Khaleesi. Actually, there's quite a few of those. Named Khaleesi. Khaleesi. Which yes. means what? That means queen in a fake language of the Dothraki people and refers to Daenerys. And Daenerys kind of had a bad day on last week's episode. And so you're telling me there's actual people out there naming their children after Game of Thrones characters? There's 3,500 parents that have decided to call their children Khaleesi. So Daenerys Targaryen is one of the contenders for the Iron Throne in the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones. So how did we get to having a bad day? So basically, Khaleesi, or Danny or Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons, and all the other titles she has, started off as a very strong female character over the last seven years, working her way through many, many obstacles to get to Westeros, the continent where this is all taking place, and in front of the gates of the capital, to take the capital and then take the Iron Throne. And she actually does get the city, get the enemies to put down their weapons, and then she snaps. 
which is somewhat incredible because there is very little that leads up to that decision. She snaps and murders an entire city of about a million people. Who had just surrendered. Who had just surrendered, yes. Kind of an important detail. And basically, there is just very little that leads up to that. Yes, she loses a dear friend, but there is, again, you know, nothing else to explain this kind of behavior. And when you say snaps, we mean genocide, right? Because someone killed her assistant. Okay, well, that's a justified reaction. And therefore, <laughs> a million people will die. Hence, a bit problematic for people who named their kids Khaleesi, who went from, you know, the breaker of chains and the liberator of all these people and the unburnt and the mother of dragons and a strong female lead to... Some crazy lady. Yeah, it's somewhat sad that they didn't name their children Arya. Some people made that call, about 20,000 people, so should have gone with the majority there. So they'll be disappointed next week, I take it. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. (laughs) On Game of Thrones, you never know. So why are we talking about this? Well, what is happening now, so not only these 3,500 people are disappointed, but up to 35,000 people have now signed a petition to have the entire season rewritten. So why do these people feel so strongly about the way it has been written? Well, the last season is pretty shit. So what's basically happening is up until season seven, everything was quite like a theater play. It was calm. It built up narrative arcs. It got people to really care for some very complex characters that had good and bad in them. Now, time moved slowly in those seasons. This season, everything is very rapid. And what you basically see is that People know it's the last season, viewers know that, realize that, but don't seem to have time to come to grips with the idea that they are going to lose, well, virtually some of their best friends. So could you say that people have built strong relationships to these characters, they're invested in them? Yeah, no doubt about it. The kind of research we've been doing, it really shows that people that very much view a series and are big fans of these series, and there's many of us, they have similar relationships to fictional characters as other people would have to physical other people, like friends, family. So it's no wonder then that they're upset when, for no apparent reason, other than an assistant dying, the beloved character turns from a strong female leader into a crazy person who unleashes her wrath onto a city. So Game of Thrones has become quite famous for these completely unpredicted change in narrative and these twists and turns and people dying for no apparent reason. And now we have this in one of the lead characters. Why is Game of Thrones unique? This is not something that we have seen a lot previously in TV series. Yeah, in that sense, Game of Thrones is one of a number of new type of TV series. Basically, with the advent of Netflix, HBO, people buy into a channel, basically take out a subscription and know that they're going to get an entire season. What that means on the industry side is that showrunners get hired for an entire season. So they have way more time to develop a character and they use that to develop way more complex characters. Examples are Breaking Bad, House of Cards. It took at least an entire season to really understand the good and the bad of a character and really care for them. They've done the same thing with Game of Thrones, possibly without realizing that that also leads to viewers having different type of relationships. They're not having relationships with flat, stereotypical characters. They have relationships with complex human beings. Somewhat ironically, the internet is often associated with short attention span and 
ephemeral communication and everything happening in the moment. But what you're saying is that really this switch from old-fashioned TV, where you had competition between channels and people could just switch between shows, what you're saying is that the move to online streaming and subscription services gives narrators more creative freedom to actually develop their shows. Yeah, I think that's a fair point to make, yeah. So really new business models of companies like Netflix or HBO or Hulu have influenced the way the structure of the show develops and the way in which these stories are told. Yeah. Yeah, they basically lead to narrative worlds that are stricter in their frames. So viewers accept less ambiguity. It is not allowed to make characters change very quickly because characters have gotten so complex. It's not allowed to introduce elements that are somewhat outside of the box. There was a lot of debate a few seasons ago with Game of Thrones about bringing Jon Snow back from the dead. Because until that moment, there were no characters that came back from the dead. All of a sudden, this magical element was introduced, which didn't seem part of the universe. Before, that was not so much of an issue for viewers. Now it has become an issue because viewers care more about the rules. So the writers are really caught out by the format that they have created, which has a slow timeline, slow development of the universe, of the characters. And now all of a sudden, this unanticipated and very sudden change in direction for what is one of the most beloved characters, a strong female leader. And let's not forget that Daenerys was actually endorsed by people such as Julia Gillard, our former Australian prime minister, who saw in her a role model for women in leadership roles. And now she has gone batshit crazy and people are outraged. And what I hear you saying is that they actually have good reason to do so because it does spill over into real life with people endorsing her and taking Game of Thrones as a role model for talking about leadership in real life. Yeah, and I dare say to take that argument even further that you can see that there's these symbols, people naming their children after it. There is a layer underneath that. It's almost like an iceberg. The stuff that happens under the water is that people's beliefs are shifting. So you had a strong female lead in a time of a hashtag Me Too movement. It was a very inspiring character. There are a few others, but Daenerys was probably the, the one that really stood out the most that then all of a sudden, stereotypically for a female fictional character, cannot handle the pressure of losing a dear friend, becomes overly emotional and snaps. Well, first of all, it's in poor taste, but it's also kind of incredible that they resort to such a quick and easy way out of a complex situation. A story of unrequited love of losing a dear friend, and that's all it takes for a strong woman to just crumble to pieces. So in contrast to Daenerys snapping over losing her love and losing her friend, Jon Snow a few seasons ago lost his love and sees a number of his friends die in one and the same battle and actually become stronger for it. And this is indeed what happens in the show. Right now we have most of the strong female leads being either crazy, snapping, murderous, genocidal, emotionally volatile, but we have the male character being strong, firm, steadfast, considered. And while I'm not watching this series, I have been following some of the news, and there seems to be a real discussion now around stereotypes in the series, because it's not just women who are portrayed in a certain way, it's also race. 
Yeah, and this is somewhat even more disturbing. Until this very episode, there was an army, the Unsullied, who were Middle Eastern looking and very highly trained. They were incredibly disciplined, way more disciplined than any of the other armies in this particular series. They were, in that sense, different from, thinking from a Western perspective, the stereotypical foreign invaders. Now, all of a sudden, in this series, they are the ones that lose their shit, while the other army, the one of the Northerners, that until this very episode, they were kind of a loose bunch of somewhat crazy people, but white, were the ones that were restrained in the amount of violence that they inflicted on the people. And it's not just the Unsullied who behave in an uncharacteristic way. We see the Dorthraki as well, who have so far managed to grow out of their primal impulses to become these nobler people who follow the Khaleesi to basically an invading horde akin to Genghis Khan's army. So basically what now happens is that very complex kind of narrative arcs and very complex characters have been reduced to stereotypes. What that does subconsciously to viewers is that they shift in their beliefs. There have been hashtags that were trending on Monday about Daenerys did nothing wrong. Now, what that tells me as a narratologist is that people actually condone more than before watching the series the acts, even though they're fictional, of Daenerys. People have shifted in their belief system. And this is a responsibility that the showrunners have underestimated, I believe. So what you're saying is that besides the artistic freedom of just going crazy with the characters, because many people buy into these fictional worlds and make these connections with their daily lives, when we have these sudden shifts that play on dangerous stereotypes, there's a real responsibility for the writers not to overdo it because it can really shift people's real-life belief systems? Yeah, it does shift real-life belief systems. People cannot make the distinction between fiction and non-fiction. It's something we're not able to do as human beings. So when we believe a fictional world, and we kind of do the moment we start empathizing with the characters, the moment we start imagining those story worlds, at those moments, our beliefs are impacted by these story worlds. So whilst a show like Doctor Who might maintain in you the fact that there are these fundamental beliefs of helping others or of truth, of justice, of fighting for the little people, increasingly in shows like Game of Thrones or for that matter House of Cards, we become more and more accustomed to people being quite complex, but also for forgiving people, sometimes fairly horrendous acts or lapses in judgment or vices or moral failures, because we like them as characters on the whole. Yeah, we forgive their behavior. So in earlier seasons, for instance, Tyrion, now one of the most beloved characters out there, did some pretty horrendous things. He murdered his dad. Now, his dad wasn't a good guy, but he murdered his dad. Nobody seemed to have a problem with that. He also was fairly loose in his morals and women. He has a drinking problem. All of that seemed to be fine. As a matter of fact, maybe not Game of Thrones as an example, but there is quite some research out there that shows that Mad Men actually led to more consumption of whiskey around the times that those series were airing. That's because in the series there was a lot of whiskey consumption. And maybe Game of Thrones, even more so than Mad Men, in an era where we all watch very fragmented 
television because of all the streaming services available and all the shows available, it's very seldom that we have a coherent social, cultural conversation about the show. Game of Thrones has managed to capture many, many people's attentions. Hence, we can have joined cultural conversations and shifts in perception. So back to the responsibility of the writers then, right? If they do wield that kind of power. There's a whole discussion around women in leadership positions. We have the Me Too movement. We're making some progress in organizations. We talk about the glass ceiling, right? What then does the case of hashtag not my Danny to women in leadership in organizations? It takes us back. It takes us back to before hashtag Me Too. It basically shifted the belief system of at least 50 million people on a Monday night. And just like that, we have made what started off like a lighthearted discussion really depressing again. So welcome to the future this week, Tom. <laughs> so surprisingly, there seem to be organizational implications even for the narrative in a show like Game of Thrones. So first is belief systems and ways in which we think about the people that we hire or the people that we promote in organizations. But actually, Game of Thrones has had other really big business implications. In tourism, for example. Yeah, there's tons of implications for tourism. Mass tourism in many of the sites. So we're thinking Dubrovnik, we're thinking Wazazad in Morocco, which was Yunkai in the earlier seasons. We had the land beyond the wall that Iceland profits from because that was taped over there. Northern Ireland had many castles that featured in the series. These places have seen immense boosts in tourism because of this particular TV series. And there's Hobbiton in New Zealand, right? Uh, that's Lord of the Rings. Well, I've seen that one. This is a different one. <laughs> okay, so Dubrovnik is an interesting example. Has on some level benefit immensely, but it also can be too much, right? Dubrovnik now has instigated in their summer season, which is about to start, that they can only let so many people at any one time within the walls of the city. Now, this was always a tourist destination, if you take away the Balkan War. Outside of that period, Dubrovnik was always a very attractive destination for tourists, but it was mostly because of the actual historical features there, the actual wall and what it meant in the Balkans' history, not because of a made-up TV series. So people now go to investigate the history of the world of Game of Thrones. They basically go to King's Landing. So do we have merchandise about King's Landing now in Dubrovnik? Yes, there is. But interestingly, what you're saying is that people go there to visit the history of Game of Thrones. So many people think, well, back in the day of Game of Thrones, this has pretty much taken over any historical significance that the place may have, as this is now competing directly with the historical narrative in Game of Thrones. And that's one of the defenses for the Khaleesi's behavior that we've heard, right? To say that, oh, back in the day, that is how anyone would have reacted in that situation, right? That's just what they did back in the day. That was actually a dinner conversation I had a couple of days ago after the last episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, people can't distinguish between the history air quotes of Game of Thrones and actual history of planet Earth. And that's actually the spoiler we referred to earlier. This never happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> And yet people still want to see these places. Yeah, and it goes beyond Game of Thrones. Frozen has had the effect that there's a tiny town up in Norway. The name escapes me right now. And yet it's an animated movie, right? Yes. So it's even more fake in that way. <laughs> 
But there is a castle in there, and that castle is made after a castle at a tiny little village up in Norway. And every winter, there are busloads of tourists that love to see this castle and that go there. And this town is completely overrun. But on a more serious note, these things might not have happened, but they are nonetheless a reflection of the zeitgeist. Yeah, they are. And that actually impacts people at all levels in all kinds of positions. The first vice president of the European Commission, Franz Timmermans, once gave a speech to Google in which he referred to Game of Thrones. He said, it's confusing, it's epic, it's good and bad, it's black and white, it's about challenges, it's like society in general today. Well, if the vice president of the European Commission says that, I'm pretty sure it has an impact on other people too. So the real question now is, who's going to survive next week and who will sit on the Iron Throne? We had some predictions by an AI a few weeks back, if you remember. So let's catch up how the AI is doing to see whether we should believe the AI about what's happening next week. So Sandra. The AI really didn't do all that well out of the Top four predicted survivors, Lord Varys is dead, and Jamie had only a 4% chance of dying. He's very dead as well. So out of the four sure survivors, two are dead. That's like flipping a coin, right? That's 50-50. Well, and it's going to be 50-50 going forward as well, because both Daenerys and Tyrion are on that shortlist. Okay, which actually is what we predicted about the AI, because Game of Thrones is one of those series where you really cannot make predictions based on the past, right? So the AI learns from the past and Game of Thrones has defied those patterns. So not surprisingly, the AI, the way it works, really didn't work here. But we have the expert with us. Tom, as a narratologist, who will die who will survive in the last episode we're going to put you on the spot here yeah and you i'll stay on the coming. fence on this one it's, it's actually one of the things that i do say the showrunners did really well you can still not tell who is going to be on that throne next week or who might still die well maybe it doesn't actually end next week and you know there's going to be another episode or something because let's face it right this is big business and thirty-five thousand people can't be wrong <laughs> that's right that's the petition so maybe it's never going to be settled who dies because there might be a whole different parallel universe that they have to create in order to settle the dispute with all the fans. Or maybe it's Sansa. So Sandra puts her money on Sansa. I'm just saying there's a chance. Okay. It would at least lead to a strong female lead on the Iron Throne. So it would save whatever mess they've created. <laughs> they could still clean it up yeah. in order to make good on their responsibility. I mean, don't underestimate. We're also looking at this now like... They are now currently making decisions to save their mayhem, but obviously all of this has been taped. Yeah, that's right. So we will know more next week, but I learned a lot today. I learned that you can make a career out of watching TV series. You can get a PhD in this. And an and you can get paid to watch Game of Thrones. At the university. So how At did this you, university. How did you pull that off, Tom? It's a long story for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the end of that joke about the... The German, the Hungarian, the Dutchman walking in the podcast studio. The German is late. Which is actually really funny in Europe. <laughs> and that's all we had time for today. <laughs> See you soon. On the future. Next week. This week? Yes, but next week. On the future this week. Next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This was the future this week. Made possible by the Sydney Business Insights team and members of the Digital Disruption Research Group. And every week right here with us, our sound editor, Megan Wedge, who makes us sound good. And keeps us honest. 
Our theme music was composed and played live on a set of garden hoses by Lindsay Pollack. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us online on Flipboard, Twitter, or sbi.sydney.edu.au. If you have any news that you want us to discuss, please send them to sbi at sydney.edu.au. Megan, I think we're in for a treat. Yay! <laughs> Sounds glorious. Da da da. 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 Da da da.